Awesome. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, you can begin to make your way to Exodus 19 as we continue. If you're just new here, we've been working our way through the book of Exodus. Uh, We are in Exodus 19 where the people of God are now gathered uh, at the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, before him. So you can begin to work your way there. On the rooftop of her Brooklyn apartment building this past spring, Erica Anderson put on a vintage-style wedding dress, stood before a circle of her closest friends, and committed herself to herself. I choose you today, she said. Later, she tossed the bouquet to her friends and downed two shots of whiskey, one for herself and one for herself. She had planned the event for weeks, sending invitations, finding the perfect dress, writing her vows, buying rosé and fresh baguettes and fruit tarts from a French bakery for the decor and array of shot glasses emblazoned with the words, you and me. It wasn't an easy decision, she noted on the wedding invitation. I, I had cold feet for 35 years, but then I decided it was time to settle down, to get myself a whole dang apartment to celebrate my number 36 by wearing an engagement ring and saying yes to me. I even made a registry because this is America. Unfortunately, this is not a uniquely American problem. I did some other research this week. Uh, Another article entitled, just by the title, you can get get enough out of it. The title was, woman plans to, 35-year-old British woman plans to marry 95-year-old chandelier. But she'll be in an open relationship with other objects. You can laugh. That's ridiculous. (laughs) It's all ridiculous. Or maybe it's not. Maybe, Maybe you're like, yeah, this is... People have freedom to do what they want. They should do what they want. Uh, This is the kind of uh, modern definition of what we think freedom is. Uh, And and, and to be honest, if we're we're all honest, some way, shape, or form, we've all drank that Kool-Aid a little bit. We want to be able to do whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it, and we want everyone else to affirm it at all times and at all costs. And, And it might not be marrying ourselves or a chandelier, but in some way, shape, or form, You've been shaped by this idea of the autonomous self that real freedom means you do whatever you want. This is why I like, uh, I like secular uh, prophets and philosophers that kind of uh, poke at this and, and recognize that, that there's something more going on here that, than meets the eye. And, and one guy I find myself constantly coming back to and reading is David Foster Wallace. David Foster Wallace, I often share, and I've shared several times here uh, of his, his speech at the commencement of Kenyon U- University in 2005, and he begins to speak about how uh, none of us are really truly free. All of us are actually worshipers, and uh, that, that means we serve someone or something. Here's what Foster Wallace said in uh, that speech. He says, here's something that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is, no, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. 
It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in our daily consciousness. So everybody serves. Everybody bows down. Everybody worships someone or something. So another prophet from a a previous generation, Bob Dylan, wrote a song called Gotta Serve Somebody. Here's how the opening lyrics go. Uh, I'll read those lyrics and the chorus. He says this, you may be an ambassador uh, to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And, and he's absolutely right. See, um, again, as we uh, catch up with the people of God, they, they've been set free from slavery and they've been brought by God to Mount Sinai. And, and God is going to show them and us what true freedom really looks like. And in the Bible, freedom is, is not just from something, it is to something. So, so if you've been with us in the book of Exodus, eight times, we remember Moses went to Pharaoh, and what did he say? He says, this is what the Lord God says, let my people go. That's the part we remember, let my people go, but that's an incomplete sentence. But the, it actually, uh, in, the, in the theology of Exodus, that's only half the sentence. Let my people go. Six times it's followed up that they may worship me. Let my people go that they may worship me. Now, now here's, the, here's the really crazy part. In the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word that the NIV that we've been going through translates to worship is the same word for serve. So the ESV will say, let my people go that they may serve me. It's as if God is saying to Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh, let my people go from serving you so that they can come and serve me. And this is actually incredibly good news. Let my people go from a a, a cruel, uh, harsh taskmaster to come and serve me, their creator who loves them and wants them to flourish This is a a biblical picture of freedom. Not that you can do whatever you want, but that you can do what you were created for, to serve and worship God. This is why our very first question in the New City Catechism is so important. You remember that one? What is our only hope in life and death? That we belong. That we are not our own, but, but that we belong, body and soul, in life and death, to our God and Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's our only hope in life and death, that we belong. Jesus, God came and saved his people from something to something. That's true of you and me if we are in Christ as well. You were set free from sin and slavery and, and, sickness and death and brought into the kingdom of the Son God loves. So if you have your Bible, we'll pick it up in Exodus 19. Our passage today is all of Exodus 19, but I'm only going to cover the first eight verses. So I would encourage you uh, a lot of gold in the rest of the chapter, but we don't have time for that today. But spend some time and just marvel at what God is doing here. I'll read the first eight verses, then pray for us, and we'll dive in. It says on, and listen carefully, this is God's word. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai, after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert, of, desert in front of the mountain. 
Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we now come before you needing uh, not, not just a word from history, but a word for us here and now. And so, Holy Spirit, by your word, would you make this living and active in our hearts and minds and lives? What we don't understand, give us comprehension. What we resist, let our hearts be open to and, and show us how we are to live differently as a result of gathering as your people and hearing your word this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. It would, be, it would be hard to overestimate the importance of Exodus chapter 19. One scholar I read this week said that Exodus 19 verses 1 through 8, the verses that you just heard, is the very heart of the Old Testament. God has uh, rescued his people out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea, uh, provided for them in spite of their faithfulness with magical bread and magical water, and, and brought them now to Mount Sinai. This is not the first time we've been here in the book of Exodus, though. Remember, Moses, in Exodus chapter 3, was here. And in Exodus chapter 3, God appears to Moses in the burning bush and begins to reveal himself to him. And he says, Moses, come here. Don't come too close. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. And, and he begins to have a conversation with Moses. He, he reveals his divine name. I am that I am. He reveals that he is Yahweh. And, and, and that is an amazing thing we saw in that moment. And then Moses says, well, when I go back, how, how will we know? And God says to Moses, here's how you'll know. When I have set the people free, you, the, all the people will come and worship me at this mountain. And, and so that's what we see in verse 2. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. In front of the mountain. It's a scene of, of God's people coming in before the throne room of God and, and about to bow down and worship and be shaped and formed as the people of God. But there's some problems. All they've known for 400 years is pagan idolatry and, and Egyptian culture. And God wants to make them a people, a distinct people, a holy people, a, a different people. And so uh, how is he going to do that? Well, Next week, we'll see uh, that, that this scene will continue to roll out. In fact, here at Mount Sinai will be the rest of the book of Exodus, it, the rest of Leviticus into the book of Numbers. This is all going to take place here. And next week, we're going to look at maybe the most famous passage of all of the Bible, the Ten Commandments. Uh, we sometimes refer to as the giving of the law. But even in hearing that, uh, that there's some, some issues that we have to deal with. First of all, our own hearts. 
We don't like to be told what to do. We want to be free, and our freedom means that we, we do whatever we want. And it doesn't even really matter what it is. There's just something in us from our first parents, Adam and Eve, they had one law and they couldn't obey that. And so we inherit that spiritual DNA. Um, You ever notice this in your own life? Like good things that would be good for you, you're told and you're like, no, I don't want to do that. Like this last week, snow day, uh, my kids had the day off, but, but they still had some work to do. They had some reading to do, and, and my daughter was, has been talking to me. She's like, this is a really good book, and we've been talking about it, and she's like, oh, I've got to read two chapters, and I'm like, well, go, get to it. She's like, I don't want to. I was like, why? You said you liked the book. She's like, I just don't like to be told I have to do it. I'm like, you are my daughter. So I couldn't get her to read the book. There's just something, on the one hand, we resist anything that is law. The, the other thing uh, that, that we resist is um, something I just forgot. But we, there are two things. Um, <laughs> I mean, give me a second. Mm, I'm, it's not tracking with me. Okay. Well, it was good. Um, <laughs> man. Okay. Well, here's, here's the other issue. It's not the issue I wanted to talk about, but uh, it is one that, that is an issue nevertheless, is, is our own uh, understanding of what the law is. In fact, maybe we should use a, a different word. In fact, the, the, the Bible would use a different word than that. In the Hebrew, it, it says Torah. So Torah is instruction, God's instruction for his people. So, yeah, here was the other issue. The other issue with law is that we can begin to twist it into an idea that if we do these things, then, then we'll be acceptable to God. This is, this is the pattern of every religion, other religion in the world. Uh, perform these deeds. Don't do these things. Do these things. Make these sacrifices. Do them well enough and good enough. And then in the end, hopefully, maybe you will have made it to God. Hopefully, you will have made it uh, up the mountain. But... But, but the, the gospel is, and here we even see, not, not that we can go up the mountain. In fact, uh, the people of God are forbidden to go up this mountain. Uh, God comes down onto the mountain. This is God coming to us. And, and as we wrestle with the law, we, we, we got to understand that it's, it's not the law. It's his good instruction. It's his Torah. This is a kind of amazing grace to the people of God, that God would show them, that he would reveal to his people his will and his ways. He's inviting them into a love relationship with him. And when you love someone, what, what do you do? You start to study them. You start to see what pleases them. You put your happiness in their happiness. You, you uh, invest in what, what they want. And God is graciously revealing his instruction. And this instruction is good, and it is meant for their life. It is meant for their flourishing. Um, so one of the books I'm, I've read this year is uh, called The Last Slave Ship. It's a story of the, the last slave ship to leave American soil out of Mobile, Alabama, go to Africa in 1859, come back 1860, bringing slaves uh, from West Africa into smuggling them into the con- country. And of course, the Civil War breaks out. They're slaves for about five years. And after five years, they are set free. They, they're still, they still speak, Afri- they still, sp- uh, still speak their native dialects and all that. And so they come together and they... Um, 
as free people. And what do they do? They start to make a community. Uh, they make a, a town called Africa Town. It's, it's just north of Mobile, Alabama. It's still there today. Africa Town. So th- these slaves on the last slave ship come together and it kind of traces their life. But as they come together and establish their leadership, one of the first things they do is create some laws. They create some laws. And in fact, their laws were much more strict than the broader American laws. But when they create the laws, what do they do? They celebrate. They rejoice. Why? Because they know in the keeping of these laws will lead to their, to their flourishing as a community. And they did. And they did. And that's what God wants his people to see. This is not a burden. This is a blessing. It is for life. It is for our flourishing. This is why the psalmist, like, like King David, would be like, your law is like honey on my lips. David would, would say, uh, in the middle of the night, he would wake up and he would meditate on the law. And he would, he would just say, it's so good. I don't know what you do in the middle of the night, but I, you're probably not like, mm, God, your instruction is so good to us. Just love that. Just love that. But, but that's what God wants them to see as he begins to shape them as a people, that this is good. This is for their life. And then in verses four through six, God kind of gives them, before he gives them the law, next chapter, he first gives them uh, what we might call a mission statement, right? So, so if, if you've been around here long enough, you'll hear us say, we exist for the glory of God and the joy of all people. We exist for the glory of God and the joy of all people. And we, we come around that as a way of shaping us, as a way of guiding us, leading us. It wants to uh, shape some culture in us. That's what, what we say. But if in 1400 BC, if, if Israel had a website, on their banner would be verses 4 through 6. This is why we exist and how we exist. So before God gets to the law, he just wants us to know this is what it looks like to be in a love relationship with the creator of the universe. And so we're going to dig into that. I want you to see three things in these verses. Uh, look, let's look at verse 4. It says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. So I'll put this on the screen, but the first thing we see uh, both here and throughout the Bible into the New Testament is that uh, grace always comes first. The order is important. God is reminding them, you yourselves have seen what I did how I carried you on eagle's wings. You added nothing to your salvation. It was all me. And God wants his people to recognize that what is true physically in their uh, freedom from slavery is true spiritually as well. It always, always, always begins and is foundation with the grace of God. It says, when you get this wrong... And, and they will get it wrong. When, when you lose this foundation, things get wonky very quickly. You, you very quickly uh, get off track. And your relationship with God and one another gets off track. So the first thing God wants the, his people to remember always is that grace always comes first. Verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine. And the second thing we see here, which is true here and throughout the Bible, is that God's people come under God's word. 
To, to be in relationship with God, the natural and the real uh, test of that is that they come under God's word. Meaning, God is God, we are not. We're going to submit ourselves to the authority of his law, his instruction, his word. Because it's for our life, it's for our flourishing. And so God's people always come under God's word. Now, now that's important, especially in our day and age when, um, when we kind of have watered down what it means to be in right relationship with God, right? Like maybe you grew up in a kind of a, a religious context, but they, not a right relationship context with God. And maybe you were 10 years old and your parents came to you and they were like, hey, Johnny, uh, we just want to talk, to talk to you about when you die. And uh, like, that's a great conversation to start with. But hey, Johnny, when you die, you get to go to two, one or two places. You could come with mommy and daddy uh, to heaven and paradise. It's wonderful. You can have whatever you want there. It's beautiful. Or you can go burn in hell, Johnny. And so it's your choice right now, Johnny. Which one would you like? Well, I think I'll choose heaven. Okay, well then just pray this prayer. And when you pray that prayer, you will know that you will be with us. And Johnny's like, okay, what prayer? I want to pray that prayer. And so Johnny prays that prayer. And, or, or, or maybe you come and be like, well, I prayed the prayer when I was 12 or I was baptized when I was a little kid or an infant. Therefore, I, I must be on the track to go to heaven. And that's it. But there's no evidence of, of a life submitted to the authority of God. No evidence of coming under God's word and saying, your will and your way uh, is the guiding principle of my life. But I've prayed a prayer and I was baptized. Therefore, I must be good. And I want to just say to you lovingly with all compassion, if that's your story, if there's no evidence of you coming under God's word, if you pick and choose what you want to submit to his authority of in every area of your life, then, then there is a real danger that you aren't a Christian, that, that there is no regeneration in you. Because a, a, generated, a regenerated person has the spirit of God and there is at least a desire, at least an attempt, at least some track record where you are submitting your will to God's will. This is what it means to be in relationship with God. God's people start with grace. They come under God's word. And then we see the next one here. God's, God's treasured people fulfill God's mission. So it says, you will be a treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This language is really remarkable. God says to his people before his throne at Mount Sinai, you will be my treasured possession. This is amazing. This is, this is grace upon grace to you and to me. See, see a king uh, would in one sense uh, be the owner of everything in the ancient Near East. The whole kingdom was his. But even King David had a separate private uh, stash of, of wealth. This is, this is what, what, what he's getting at. Uh, treasured possession, the word segula. It, it means that the private reserves or the private treasures, the crown jewels of the king. And it says, although the whole earth is mine, he's saying, among all of creation, you, my people, are to be a treasured possession. This is amazing that God thinks of you, thinks of me, thinks of his people in this way. Do you ever wonder that? Like if you really took that to heart, there would be no self-esteem issues. Like if you have the smile, Tim Keller says, if you have the smile of God, all the frowns of the world are inconsequential. Zephaniah tells us that the Lord sings over his people. This is amazing. 
because we come to sing to the Lord, but a day is coming where we're going to hear the Lord sing over us. That'll be an amazing concert. He says, we will be his treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests. You will be a kingdom of priests. Not just that there will be some priests, that all of his people will be a kingdom of priests. Well, what does that mean? Well, what is the role of a priest? Well, a priest is a mediator between God and man. A a priest uh, brings, through prayer and sacrifices, the people to God and and brings God, in a sense, to the people. He says, you will will be the reconciler. You will will be my source for bringing the nations. This is an echo, if you remember, of the promise to Abraham. Through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is what the people of God do. They... God's treasured people fulfill God's mission. And you will be a holy nation. The idea of holy means to be set apart for God's special purposes, special use. And he says, you will all be a holy nation. There, there is some, there is some um, more moral holiness involved in that, but it's much more. It's the useful purpose of God to be a holy nation. Jesus would put it this way. You'll be a <coughs> city on a hill. That cannot be hidden. It was this idea that when when God's people remember God's grace and walk in his good instruction, submitting themselves to his law, they are fulfilling his will and his purpose. And the nations should be able to look on and see, man, there's a people that are flourishing. There's a people that are are living life that I want to live in. And the nations would be drawn into this. This is the vision God casts for his people. Of course, then Moses takes that back to his people in verse 7. And in verse 8, we get their response. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. We will do everything. Now, just a couple comments about that. That is the right response. That they gave the right response. And, and I believe and I believe they were genuine. I believe they are so blown away by this moment that God would come down and speak to them and cast this amazing vision to them that it's based on grace, that he's got a good law and instruction for their flourishing, and that they would be his special possession. They're like, yeah, we want in on that. We're all in. We'll do everything, everything you have said. I mean, it makes sense when you've been rescued out of slavery, brought through the Red Sea, uh, provided for with bread and water, even though you've been faithless and God still says, I'm going to invite you to be my people, my treasured possession. You say, I'm all in. That is the right and good response of the people of God. Of course, if you have any background at all in the Bible, you know that the rest of the book of Exodus, rest of the Old Testament is a sad commentary of them not living up to their promise that they just made here. In spite of God's grace, in spite of the goodness of his instruction, in spite of the, the vision to be a people as a treasured possession, they fall short. This is why we need to be careful when we're reading the Old Testament and making applications to ourselves. There is an amazing foundation that we've been going through in Exodus, but, but it is still what, what theologians would call the Old Covenant. And we live in the New Covenant. And the two are not the same. 
In fact, the entire book of Hebrews is to show the superiority of the new covenant over the old covenant. I want you, want you to see this. Now, I'll put it up on the screen at verse 5. Look what God says. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenants, then out of all the nations, da, da, da. It's a conditional covenant. If, then. So, so you won't be my treasure possession. You won't be a kingdom of priests. You won't be a holy nation unless you do these things. That's conditional. Now, now all of Israel was saved physically by grace. It wasn't that they're going to be saved by their performance in the law. They are saved in the same way you are and I are saved, by grace through faith, trusting in the grace of God and the living God and walking in his will, in his ways. This is how they were saved, but it was still for them conditional. This is why I want us to look now just at how Peter references our own passage, Exodus chapter 19. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, Notice how Peter references this passage. He says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Did you see it? There's no condition there. How is that possible? You are a chosen people. Enter the new covenant Enter Jesus Christ, where, where Israel is the disobedient son who does not, who fails to live up to their commitment. Jesus never fails. It, it is the doctrine of, of the, the, the substitutionary atoning, but more than that, that all of his good works, every right thing he said, every prayer he paid, prayed, every righteous deed that he fulfilled, now gets credited to you and me as if we had done them. So that Jesus would then go to the cross and take everything that we had done. Everything that the people of old had done in failure and and sin, not coming under his authority and his rule and reign. Jesus takes that on himself on the cross. We are sealed. We are saved by grace alone through the blood of Christ. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are uh, sustained by the Spirit that has sealed us. And we are sent by the Spirit. There is no condition about it if you are a follower of Jesus. You are his chosen people. So we rest in, we rejoice in, we respond to God's grace through Christ. And then guess what? It is all grace. It's all grace. Salvation is a gift of God's grace to you and me. For which we should rejoice in. God's word and instruction is a gift of God's grace for our path of life and our flourishing. Even our obedience, empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit, is a gift of God's grace. Our status as God's treasured possession is a gift of God's grace to you and me this morning. Our calling and mission as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation is a gift of God's grace to us. So let us respond truly as a free people. The idea is not that we earn anything from God. The idea is that we are so uh, wowed by the gifts of God's grace that we uh, can't but help respond in a way that honors and glorifies him. Let us gladly come under the good law for our flourishing. Let us, uh, in the power of the Spirit, love God and love people. Let us bring people to God and God to people as a kingdom of priests. Let us be a city on a hill, a holy nation where the people of this world look in and see what it looks like to be in relationship with their creator. Amen? This is our call. This is grace to us. Let us be a people that rejoice in those things. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, what you did for the people at Mount Sinai was amazing, but what you did at Mount Golgotha was even more amazing. You have saved us by your blood. You have sealed us by your blood. You sustain us by your blood. And you send us by your blood. Lord, let us live in light of these great realities. Let us joyfully submit our will to your will. Let us walk as you would have us walk. Let us be a kingdom of priests this week. Let us be a holy nation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.